0: A journey into sound brought
1: to you in living color. How
2: do you like
1: that The fault, dear Buddhist, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Correct, correct, correct. Good luck. We care about your world.
0: My guest is Jason Brody. He's been a longtime spiritual seeker, even referring to himself as a maniac for Self-Realization, which led him to studying psychology and learning and practicing various forms of psychotherapy and spiritual practice, eventually culminating in the work he does now, which he calls Awakening Intensives. I'll also add that Jason and I were both part of the Eureka community in San Diego, a kind of open, free-form, experiential, spiritual community back in the 1970s. Jason, welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour.
3: I'm glad to be here, Tony, and nice to reconnect with you again.
0: Yeah, it's been great to reconnect with you, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So maybe we could begin by talking about just what you were seeking and where that seeking arose from.
3: Yeah, great. We got to go all the way back to five years old. I have a memory of going into the bathroom, standing on a stool so that I could see myself in the mirror. And I would stare into my eyes and I would say, you are in there, you're inside there, you are there. And I'd start to see all kinds of faces like Eastern Indian faces and Chinese faces. And I would eventually just scare myself enough that I'd stop. But then, you know, a couple of days later, I would be back again. As long as I can remember, I always had this sense that there's something going on here that's more than just survival and reproduction and making money and having relationships. I didn't know what that was. I just, I would have this sense of there's something else going on. I made a couple attempts to speak to other children about this, got a lot of blank stares, and I just conceded I was some kind of weirdo. You know, that I don't know what this is, but it's strange and nobody else seems to relate to it at all. I had a lot of interest in my childhood. I liked school a lot. I really loved learning. I was pretty social. I went to parties. I hung out. I was a good athlete, so I was playing ball all year long. And even though I found enjoyment in those things, I always had this sense when I would go to sleep at night, there's something else going on here. There's something else. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. So that continued pretty intensely. And then when I was 11, I read Freud's Interpretation of Dreams. And... That was a transformative experience because, oh, this unseen world, this unknown world of the unconscious, this something else that's going on beyond the forms that we participate in. I was fascinated. And from that point on, I knew I wanted to study psychology and work in that field. And so the search for truth took hold of me very early. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why me, but that has kind of been the underlying mania that you spoke of. And yeah, I have been a maniac. I have been all over the world. I've blown up my life three times in search of moving toward greater truth. I've lived in ashrams. I've lived in foreign countries. I've been with a dozen awakened masters. This is where all my money and energy is gone, since it's kind of the singular pursuit of what for me what's important in this life is what is really going on here what is this place what is this reality what is this awareness and is there a purpose is there a meaning to that and then well how do i live my life in collaboration with that with whatever i understand about that how can i bring myself into greater alignment And this has been what has reflected itself in the work that I do. And, you know, what I would like to share with you in our time together about what I have come to understand in answer to those questions of what's important, what's real, what's truth, and how can we move closer to that? So does that give you a bit of understanding? Yeah, that was great. I love
0: hearing those kind of stories. It's quite different than my own, and it's Mm -hmm. quite different from other stories that I've heard from other people who who have had interesting early experiences in that realm.
3: And it's good that you said that because I'm really just sharing my experience. And I believe that this whole process of awakening or enlightenment or self-realization that we talk about, I believe it takes many different forms and that eventually all of us have to find our own way. So what I'm speaking about today is... I'm not speaking like this is absolute truth for everyone, but I am sharing what I have discovered has been hopeful for me in my own journey. And I want to touch upon three things a little bit later that have really been central to my understanding of how do we come into alignment? How do we come into collaboration? How can we arrange our lives so that this truth becomes more evident and more clear? This search has also led me to do an extreme amount of process work on myself in many dimensions, both the Western psychological tradition and the Eastern mystical tradition. And I always sought out those processes that were deep and that kind of rocked me to my core because I knew from the first time I did therapy on myself that I was kind of a tough nut, that this was not going to yield itself easily. So I was always drawn to work that was deep powerful, resonant, and had the potential to clarify and clear away the stuff we pick up in in our lives. So I need to talk a bit now about the process, I understand it, of what happens to us as human beings, what we go through. In my experience, when we are born, we have the full potential to manifest ourselves already present. In fact, we are that potential. We are that awareness. We are that that isness, that presence. If you've spent any time around young babies, they are just totally there. I remember when I was raising my son, and when he's quite young, we had a Tiffany lamp with fringe that would hang down. And he would just play with that fringe and look at it and play with it with his hands for an hour at a time. It would fascinate him, you know, how how he could move it and how, you know, something as ordinary as that, his full attention was on it. This is the state that we all came in on, where we had no separation from our experience. There was no past. There was no future. We didn't even have those concepts. There was no good. There was no bad, no should or shouldn't, no expectations. We were just present to whatever was happening. And in that presence, that contained the ability to have full emotional experience of whatever was happening. When we were babies and something upset us, we were hungry, we needed to be changed, we're bored, whatever, you know, we didn't have any trouble in letting the whole household know about it. There was no holding back, no sense of, oh, am I being too loud or am I disturbing? We only knew this is my experience and give it expression in, in whatever way I know how. When we are radiating love, we melted hearts. We lit up rooms. You know, child's love is so obvious and so total and uncompromised. When we're in the sandbox playing with our friends and they take our toy away, we're angry. Our face is red. Our fists are clenched. We're screaming. Every fiber of our being is activated. We are fully in the experience It teaches us what it needs to teach us. Maybe we learned something about how to deal with aggression. Maybe we learned, have some understanding come to us about things being transitory, but there's no barrier to fully experiencing who we are. This is the natural state for all of us. We all know this, and it is this essential state that gets compromised and lost often quite early in life due to a number of factors. The most important of this being our childhood situation. As children, we're answering two questions. One is, who am I? And two is, what is this place? What are the rules? How does it work? These are the two things we need to understand. And our biggest source of information, where we'll turn to it, will be our family situation. And realize that as children, we're, we're wide open. We don't have concepts. We don't have structures. We don't have beliefs. So we are presented with a, a a family that is more or less equipped to really support that completeness, wholeness, that we're all right, that we're loved, that we're enough, that we're capable. To the degree that that's so, we can maintain contact with our essential wholeness without a great deal of conflict. If, however, our situation is such that our parents are, even though well-intentioned, might be limited in their understanding or their development or their ability to have healed their own emotional situation it can become very difficult for them to be that loving source you know that we needed to stay connected with our essence and so we get all kind of messages that put us in conflict messages that might be, you're wrong, you're not what you're supposed to be, you're not enough of this, you're too much of that, why can't you be like this? We receive messages about how men and women react, messages about what the world is all about, and all these are gonna be greatly shaped by our parents' expectations and how we're treated by them. I'm gonna read a quote by Michael Yagradieff. One of the greatest feelings in life Is the conviction that you've lived the life you wanted to live with the rough and the smooth, the good and the bad, but yours, shaped by your own choices and not someone else's. This to me is a good blueprint for a settled life, for a life that is alive and vibrant. You know that you're acting from the truth of who you are to the best of your knowledge. Now, one of the things that makes this really difficult is that a lot of this goes on underneath the surface. You know, there are many things that were taught in childhood are very helpful. We have to learn, for instance, how to handle sharp objects or don't put your hand on a stove or don't run into traffic. So all of these shape us in ways, and some of those ways are really important. You know, if you're going to be in society, it's good to know about personal hygiene. So we get a lot of training that's really useful. But along with it, we get a lot that is really not very functional. And we can't tell the difference when we're kids. We're just sponges. We take it all in. You know, we believe what we're being taught and we believe that it's it's the truth because these are big people who are out there in the world. They must know. And as a result, we take in all this information and they become the building blocks of our conception of who we are, who other people are, and how to be in the world. The problem is, along with all the good information, we download a whole bunch of spyware. It operates beneath the surface. We don't even know it's there. It serves an agenda other than our own, and it shapes the way we experience things. In my understanding, it is these unmet experiences, these places that have not been investigated, that are not in alignment with reality, that cause the problems and the willingness to actually encounter these places form what I recognize as the spiritual path, at least the way it unfolds for me. That encountering pain and disillusionment, meeting wounds, bringing them into awareness is what allows them to heal. So that's the good news. The good news is that Truth is already there in us. It's always been there, it's always going to be there, it's never going to be touched by any of this. Our essential nature is our essential nature, and if we are fortunate enough to clear the pathway, we can experience what's always there, always present for us. The not so good news is the process I'm describing at moments doesn't feel real good at all. It's like you know, when the poison comes out of the system, it feels yucky. The physical body knows this. When the physical body is sick and needs to violently eliminate, you get sick to your stomach and you want to vomit. And for a few moments, it's very uncomfortable and unpleasant. But then you feel so much better. Then the body can heal itself. You're brought back to homeostasis again because the poison has been brought out and moved. So if your essential self is already there, if the truth of being is already there and is awaiting only your consciousness to stabilize there and to understand how to be with that, then there are two things that are required. One, you have to find your way there. You have to find your way to that experience. And you also have to have found the inner authority inside of yourself to be able to actually live that in your life. This requires really examining the stories that we all carry. And I talk about story a lot in the work that I do. And I want to say what I mean by story. So I've been describing the essential state and how natural it is and always present it is. Through this process of conditioning, we start to imagine ourselves in a different kind of way, usually in some deficient kind of way. Oh, my mommy is always mad at me. There must be something wrong with me. Oh, my father doesn't give me much attention. I'm not very lovable. This is just part of the human system. We do this. We do this when we're kids. We start to develop this other self that is a made up version of these messages that were incorporated from our parents and not just from parents. You know, if you're raised in religion, you know, many popular religions are based on the idea that there's something originally wrong with you. And you need to follow rules and do practices and go through priests or rabbis or imams to recapture that. And that's backed by the idea that, you know, if you fail, you go to hell. It's powerful stuff. Our education systems often do not really develop minds that inquire and investigate and learn how to distinguish truth from not truth, which we are really seeing acted out in the world in present time. And education often becomes just an indoctrination process. We grew up with media, and media is very much oriented toward, here's how to fix what's wrong with you, buy our product. And so it's a very amazing thing that we emerge out of this bombardment of information about fear and anxiety and failure and avoidance and you got to be secure and you got to find a partner and and it's all so much of our upbringing is around the outer world and a much lesser part of that is really focused on how to cultivate your inner self, how to find your way in terms of navigating deep emotional waters, for instance. So this develops, and then we practice it for years and years and years, until we get real good at being our particular form of deficiency. We become real good at, I have to be perfect, or real good at, nobody loves me, or you know, we become masters of, I'm a victim, or I have to win at all costs, or whatever the particular story. The content of the stories varies from person to person. That's always different. The dynamic is exactly the same in everyone. The upshot of all this is we have lost connection with the truth of who we are, and we live through this story. And we try then enhance that story, make more money, have more lovers, you know, have better experiences, be ahead of the herd socially, or we try and avoid diminishment of those structures, living in gated communities, building up big bank accounts, trying to find security outside of ourselves. It's not that any of that is wrong. I mean, it's fun to play in the world of romance, fun to play in the world of finance or music, whatever it calls you. But for many people, that's their identity. If I'm successful, I'm okay. If I'm not, I'm a failure. And the thing about circumstances is they're always changing. There is no lasting satisfaction ever to be found in any circumstance. I remember when I got my first new car for the first time. The incredible anticipation and the searching for the perfect car and just the one I wanted, and then getting the best deal and getting the accessories that I wanted. And I, I remember those first few days with my car. Oh, the smell. And all I wanted to do was go drive around and get my friends and drive them around. And, and that new car was like everything. You know, I felt on top of the world. And after a while, that faded. And you know, then it became a car that I liked and was fun to drive, but you know, it didn't really change anything. What it did change, at least for the moment, is now the desire for a new car wasn't there anymore. So one of the things I've come to understand is that the nature of desire and the nature of avoidance are two of the main factors that engage the human psyche. And What many of the masters I've studied with have stressed is the freedom that can be found when you are no longer run by either fear or desire, where those can arise and you can meet them with the fullness of who you are. So the work that I do and the approach that I take is what we are going for, what we're looking for is to unearth that place, to uncover that place inside of you is free under any circumstances. That doesn't need the world to be any particular kind of way. Like, you know, however it is, whatever's happening, we can be with whatever's happening. Some of it we like, some of it we don't like. Some of it's wanted, some of it's unwanted. But the place that I guide people to and the place that I strive to live my life from is when I can be with whatever's happening without undue distress. When I can like stay in the boat, when I can stay in my awareness, when I can stay in connection, even when the worst nightmares are coming forward, and when I can stay in that even when wildest dreams are satisfied, when I can maintain myself and not get swept away and lost and lose myself in either of those places. That's the road that I cultivate for myself. So I want to shift back now to my own particular journey for a moment. When I was 28, i had it all i got my master's degree in psychology i was working as a school psychologist i was making good money right out of school i was living in a fabulous apartment right across the lake i was seeing interesting women i had a great group of friends and i was absolutely miserable and i couldn't point to anything (laughs) i remember thinking maybe i should get a boat maybe that would do it and even as I realized that, it's like I don't even like boats. I'm not a I love water, but I'm not a boat guy. Why would I you know, it, it struck me in that moment how far reaching was my attempt to get away from this? I didn't recognize it at the time, but this was the first of three distinct experiences of awakening that were taking place in me. I just thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I thought I was really losing it. And what began to emerge out of this was this recognition, this remembrance of the childhood seeking and searching for the something else. And this awakening culminated in a vision of the divine that I had in the form of Christ, inviting me to come home. And when I asked, what does that mean? What do I have to do? I was told, you have to die. Now, at that time, I thought, oh, I'm a goner. I was driving on the highway. I thought, oh, the semi is going to jump over the guardrail and wipe me out now. I took it quite literally. I got very frightened, and I shut down the experience. But what I've come to realize is that death is not a physical death, but it's the death of the old story, the death of the distorted me, the death of the deficient me that was calling for healing, that was coming up to the surface, and I was becoming... Completely disillusioned with there being any outside circumstance that could change that. Because I pretty much had it all. I was, you know, in terms of what to strive for, I was well on my way to everything. I was getting known in my profession and and none of it, none of it was enough. And so three months later, I was on a plane to Hawaii to do a 40-day training with the work that you and I were involved in and that was the beginning of my search in earnest so i'm going to make a bold statement and that bold statement is the singular most difficult and most problematical experience in human consciousness is the false identification with who we think we are with the story the made-up version that we're trying somehow to overcome, that we're trying somehow to get rid of, get past, soothe, make go away, satisfy, all of which are not possible. Swami Muktananda called this trying to get rid of what you haven't caught. When you can begin to realize that the story that is running you is just a story that you've made real because you had to, because that was what was being presented to you, but that now... It is the source of the suffering. So if that statement is correct, if that is really the central underlying problem of humanity, then it stands to reason that the only medicine that is going to address that, the only medicine is going to arrive at understanding who you are, at coming to truth. You've laid
0: all of that out very beautifully and very comprehensively. So, of course, the question now is, how do we reconnect with that part of ourself that has always been there but has been clouded over by layers and layers of what you refer to as spyware? I think more of it as like malware or viruses. That works, too.
3: Yeah. So there are a couple of things then that become important. A couple of recognitions. The first is to begin to recognize or even suspect or even have the possibility that maybe what's running your life is not the truth of who you are. Another way of saying this is you're in a trance. If you've ever seen a stage hypnotist, they get people up on stage and they put them under and then they give them suggestions. And then when they say the trigger words, people flap their arms like chickens or they make love to their chairs or whatever the command was. And if you would ask any of those people, why are you flapping your arms like that? And so I just felt like it. I chose to do this. I decided to do this. Now, if we're in the audience, we're laughing because we're in on the joke. You know, we we understand the process. But I'm telling you, that's what happens to all of us. We're all subject to this kind of reactivity. You want to see your reactivity? Wait until someone calls you stupid. Think you're an idiot. Wait until your lover goes off with someone else. You know, wait until your your bank account is cleaned out, and you'll see the attachments you have. You'll see the stories that arise. The place we're pointing to is where you are maximally capable of being with whatever's happening, and you're not caught up in the thing. You know, people have to like me, or I have to have a lot of money, or. My lover has to stay with me or anything as our source of salvation. So there has to be this beginning recognition that, hmm, something's not working. And that something that's not working, maybe that's not about the world. Maybe that's about me. That's the first crucial recognition. So we can also talk here about lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is when you actually wake up when you're dreaming. And I think a lot of people have had that experience. And for me, when I wake up in the dream, everything changes. Up until that point where I'm in the dream, all these bizarre things are happening. People are turning into cats and I don't have any pants on. And I'm, I'm driving a car backwards and all of that. It's like, I'm just subject to all the weirdness of the dream world. I'm just kind of going along as if all this is real. But the moment I become aware I'm in a dream, now I'm in control of it. I can, you know, I always fly. That's the first thing I always do. I can fly. That's my tip off, that I'm in the dream. And when I fly, there's this ecstatic sense of, oh God, I'm free, I'm free. You know. Then you can do anything in the dream. Then you can kind of shape the dream the way you want. You can go into deep meditation, you can make love, you can punch down a wall, whatever, whatever it feels like. That's the awakening from the dream of the world that I'm speaking of. It's really the recognition that all this is happening and I'm the one who's awake in this dream and being awake in this dream and in touch with who I am, I have a greater impact in how I can be in the world. I'm not subject to all the restraints and have to's and shouldn't and can't. So that's the first important recognition. Along with that, there's good and bad news. No, I'm saying bad news first this is not something that you can mentally figure out because what we're pointing to is held at an energetic level that is far deeper than mental activity we can have total and complete understanding of why we're so messed up and we're still so messed up so if you want to really get to the to the root to the place where energetically this is all being held that's often surrounded or intermixed with unfinished emotional business. The fear that we had to stuff, the anger that we couldn't express or that we absorbed from angry parents, the tears and the grief that we were made fun of when we showed or that were not okay, the ways that we intuitively picked up, I have to take care of my mommy and take care of my daddy because they're hurting at our own expense. All of that comes wrapped up in unfinished emotional business so a great deal of the work that i do is unpacking all of that bringing it into awareness bringing it out of the unconscious into consciousness so that it can actually be examined and in bringing our awareness to it in opening to it we are really healing what could not be healed from our childhood what was overwhelming for us which was too much for us to integrate in any meaningful way we're doing the work of getting that child unstuck from where they got stuck. But in order to do that, you have to go down to where the muck is. And that's not pleasant or fun. However, it can be mercifully short. You really just need to open. If you can just open and touch it and integrate it, then by itself, it processes itself through you and out of you, and you're finished with it. It's not even that you have to let go of it, it lets go of you. So we're talking about incomplete unfinished business, incomplete situations, stuff that got stuck. So we have to go in and get them unstuck. The good news is we have extremely reliable guides, and those guides are our intuition and our emotional experience. Things happen in our lives. Emotions arise, situations come up to call our attention to this. The consciousness is always trying to heal itself. It's always trying to elevate itself and be more of who it is. So this gets brought to our attention so that we can learn how to be with it, learn how to embrace it, learn how to move it, and eventually learn how to disentangle ourselves so that it can finish and move on. And that essentially is the work that I do with people in awakening. In this way, it's a shift from the Western thinking mind into a more heartfelt softer opening space that is also extremely powerful this is really where our power is this is where our strength is this is where our will is where our ability to stand up for ourselves is so it's not just some not talking about some wishy-washy passive state i'm talking about regaining the full range of emotional experience which then enables us to handle anything life can throw at us and remain more or less unshakable Albert Einstein said that the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. So, the second recognition that is important is we have to then actively engage with these structures that I'm talking about, we have to actually have the willingness to, okay, I want to look at this, I want to open this, I want to get past this, I want to unearth this. We have to move toward the uncomfortable places in ourselves. This is totally counterintuitive. As human beings, we are wired to move toward pleasure and away from pain. And that's that's a very survival-oriented structure in us. And so the turning point, in my opinion, in all of this journey is where we can recognize that at times for a specific purpose, it is very useful to go into the dark places inside of us, the places we don't wanna go. If we don't go there, we're gonna experience them showing up in our lives in external experience. If we are willing to face the grief, the despair, the anger we carry, the fear that we live in in this world, which is a pretty fearful place these days, we can learn to be with them so that we're not always trying to avoid them and creating strategies and being threatened, and we can go beyond conditioned reactivity. I want to tell a little story that happened early in my life. I was in my 20s. I was at a party, and I got into a really heated argument with somebody. And you know when arguments get heated, they start getting really personal. And this guy just started telling me, you're such an idiot. You're so stupid. Did you even graduate from eighth grade? You know, that, that kind of. And Antonio, I had the most curious reaction. I was always very secure in the fact that I was intelligent. I mean, I knew that. And that was something I was really clear about. So his words had no effect on me. They just like went right through me. I recognized, oh, you know, he's out of stuff to hurl at me. He wants to get it personal now. And that's all it was. But then in the next instance, I realized, oh, but if he would have said this or if he would have attacked me in this way, hey, we're going to the mat. So what was the difference? The difference was those were places where I wasn't secure. Those were places where I was not healed, where I still had my unfinished business not attended to. And if he hit one of those places, I probably would have reacted. This is kind of like a litmus test. How much in your life are you reactive to your circumstances? How much do you complain? How much do you make wrong? How much do you make other people wrong? We've got a lot of that going on in the world today. How much do you act out of fear? Greed. How much does lust run you? Can you be vulnerable? Can you be powerful? Do your relationships work? These all show us the degree to which life experience can knock us off course, can show us what's not yet met in ourselves. And from my experience, I can tell you, all that's really required is to meet them. Just open to them. Just allow them to be, go in there, be with it, whatever it is, you will find your way. It will pass. And you will be more of yourself on the other side of it. So you have to actively engage in this struggle. You can look at it as there are two forces that compete for your attention, for where your attention is going to stabilize. And one is a conditioned self, which is less secure, which is less open, more reactive, thinks it needs something from the world, is easily angered or can't get angry, is overly sad or can't be sad, is caught in fear or fighting against fear all the time. We come to the recognition that the deciding factor is what we're going to pay, what's going to snare our attention? When you're in the space of your unhealed parts, that's got your attention. When you're believing that story, when you think it's real, when you think, oh, God, I'm really never going to make it. When you believe that thought, your attention has now been captured by that, and that makes it more real. you now add a quantum of solidity to that. When you are able to be with these places I'm describing in yourself, in a way that's open, in a way that you maintain yourself, you maintain your connection with, you know, I am an already healed being encountering unhealed places in himself. That's a whole different story. That's a whole different experience. Now your energy is stabilizing for that whatever quantum of energy is, is there. You you've, you've added another brick to the reality and the recognition of the healed self. And this healed self is, is this place where nothing's ever really happened, nothing's ever really disturbed it because it's not capable of being disturbed or destroyed. It can be buried, it can be obscured, it can be covered up, but this essential state always remains essential, whole, and complete, whatever's happening, even in the worst of circumstances. You know, There were people who woke up in the concentration camps, who had experiences of enlightenment. And so, it's not our circumstances that determine our being, our wellness. That's not actually even where our security is or where our lovability is. Those are just merely the arenas we play in as human beings. Nothing wrong with playing in them. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for yourself in any of that, you are doomed to fall short. You will not find it because that's not where it is. You're looking in the wrong place. So... From this second understanding, we begin then to find a willingness to move toward those places. We actually, we, we see that every time I encounter one of these obstructing structures and am able to free myself from it, more of the truth of myself is available. So we actually begin to move toward them. One of the more powerful practices I've found in my life is to remind myself that I want to have anything that's in the way revealed to me so that that revelation will bring me closer to myself. And, you know, again, that means discomfort at times. And other times it means joy and blissfulness. You know, in this journey, you get to go to rocky places. You can't avoid it. But it's no big deal. And the the great thing is, Tony, as you practice this and get better at it, you can take on bigger and bigger stuff in yourself. You can handle bigger and bigger things because you trust the process, you trust yourself, you trust the result. You know the good that comes of it. You begin to live your life from as a conscious being instead of unconsciously being run by unexamined conditioning. And the third understanding that I want to communicate is you then try and arrange your life in such a way that you maximize your ability to collaborate with this new energy, with this new you that's being born. That will often mean more periods of solitude, more times you're inward. Many people turn to meditation. It may mean a lessening of your focus on the outer world and an increase on the inner world. And it will certainly mean Being aware of where your thinking goes, being aware of where your emotional states go, being aware of what you do when they rise, and kind of training yourself to become more and more of a vessel that can be useful for consciousness to inhabit so that it can have the experience of being in human form. Life then becomes lived not so much for your personal satisfaction as it does for the absolute delight of being consciousness waking up to itself. You could say love waking up to itself. You could say truth waking up to itself. All of those would fit. That becomes more and more important. You can still play in the world. You can still be in the world in things that interest you. In fact, you'll be much less encumbered in it by thinking that that's really of utmost importance. So life becomes much more playful. You like relationship? Great. You're you're now actually more available for relationship because nothing's at stake. You can love fully. You can love completely. And if that comes to grief, you can handle that. You are no longer playing it safe. You're no longer holding back. You're no longer trying to assert your power or et cetera. You're just there loving with your loving open heart. And so you, you actually get a fuller experience of what it is to be in the world because your self-worth isn't at stake anymore. When your self-worth is at stake, you play safe or you cheat or you, you know, avoid, or you ignore, or you lie, or you know, you go into manipulation to try and get something. I need your approval, so I'm going to be what you want me to be. You know, All of that, you pay less and less attention to because it gets less and less interesting. Its grip on you is no longer so interesting. So in my journey, I've been trained in various disciplines. For years, I was a practitioner of the Fisher-Hoffman process, which is also known as the Hoffman Quaternity Process, which is a very deep and powerful cleansing. I did that work for a long period of time, and I brought that work when I went to India and lived in an ashram there where they did a lot of deep inner work. And I led groups in that ashram for three years. and. I got invited by people who'd gone through that group from Australia, a group of them said, we know people in Australia who really wanna do this kind of work and we'll help you set things up and we'll give you a place to live and we'll introduce you to the community. And that all sounded really good to me. So I went to Australia where I lived for two years and I thought it would be a good idea to design a warm-up group. Fisher Hoffman, at that time, I was doing it as an eight-day residential intensive, and it was really powerful work, but it was a big deal. Lots and lots of steps, hundreds of pages of writing, many processes. It, It was a substantial cost. So I decided to develop a group that was leaner, fewer steps, more compact, right to the point, but still really powerful so that people could do that as like a warm-up and do that group and then they would sign up for the big ticket process work. so i designed this three-day intensive that i called awakening and as i mentioned earlier i've been through many 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 processes of deep deep work so there were ways of working from many of those that i thought were really good there were some elements of fisher hoffman that were really central there were some things that just came to me that I inserted because I thought this would be a good idea. And I was pretty happy with it. I thought it would be a good group. But I was amazed at how good it was. People were reaching spaces that were at least as good as with Fisher-Hoffman. Plus, it was shorter, it was quicker, it was more affordable. So I did Awakening three times. And out of that, I did get a process group together. And it was excellent, but that was the last time I ever did that process because I had found something that, you know, since I I designed the group, I could maximally use those capabilities that I know I have. I could maximize the things that I do well. And I've been doing awakening ever since. I guess it's been about 15, almost 20 years now that I've been doing it. So what awakening is, is a very elegant structure that takes you step by step into this encounter that I've been speaking of shows you how to engage with it and eventually how to untangle yourself from it. It opens you up to the experience that I described of the truth of your essence. Awakening begins with an intention that we set that you have the direct experience of coming home to who you are within the course of those three days. and. That's a really big intention to set. And what happens is that all the demons get activated. All the structures get threatened. All the protective mechanisms get on alert. And that's what we want. We want them stirred up. We want them to come out of the darkness. We want them up into awareness so that they can be dealt with. When they're down there, they're doing their dirty work. You don't even know what's going on. You know, we, we want them up in, in awareness so that you can see and recognize for yourself what you're being run by what's got power over you, what you believe, what stories are running you, which can be kind of shocking. By lunch break of the first day in awakening, you will have a tremendous understanding of what's running you, where it came from, where you're stuck, how your whole life has been a reflection of that, why you do the things you do. You will understand in a comprehensive way that makes sense of all of it, how it originated in your childhood, how it plays out in your life, the whole package will be, be very clear. And then you are led through processes, experiences. I do talk about things. I lead exercises. There are processes you go through, all of which are designed to further this bringing up into awareness so that you very clearly see the forces that are at play and you see the ways that you are not fully aligned with the truth of who you are and what you need to face in yourself to bring that forward. So awakening is essentially a battlefield. We bring the battle out into the open and it shows you how to fight it. And you actually do that until you win. And then you do it a little more until it's really, really good. And by the time you're done, people typically report, I'm in love. I'm free, I'm out of prison. I'm free to be myself. I'm at peace. I've discovered my strength. These are very common reactions. How I work with it is a combination of deep compassion, support, understanding, and love, along with utter ruthlessness. There are times we need to be utterly ruthless and uncompromising about what needs to be done, what needs to be faced. So this is not for the faint of heart. This is not for casual observers. It's certainly not positive thinking. We go into all the places. We go into all the stuff, whatever shows itself. What it is, is an opening. It's, a, it's actually a portal. It's a portal you walk through and you come out in a different state of consciousness. That emergence will always stay with you. Now, I'm not saying this is the end to everything. I'm not saying this is you know all there is in the journey because it's not, but it is a specific crossing, a specific transition that happens in this work where you can no longer believe in your deficiency the way you have before it may come up again it probably will you'll probably be faced with it again with the temptations, with the situation but this is how we learn this is how we learn by oops got caught up in that one again but you know you see it you understand it and you know how to move through it now in a way that you didn't know before this work happens one-on-one it's part online and it's part you and I being together in a video format, doing live interactions four times a day through each of the three days of awakening. And that work is the real process work. It's like, okay, what's been coming up for you since the last exercises? What are you noticing? And we see where we go from there. So it it becomes extremely personal and very much to the point. It is in my experience, the most intense and effective three days of making this particular transition that I've ever come across. I've worked with many people who've been in therapy for years. I've worked with people from all religious denominations, including atheism and new age and Orthodoxy, and I don't care about any of that stuff anyway. None of that's necessary. The only belief that is required for awakening is the fact that you've got it in you and it's possible to unearth it. And you need a certain level of determination and willingness because this is very joyous work, but it's rocky to get there. So, would you be willing to share
0: some of the key elements or key exercises that you do? That help initiate that initial experience of what you just called
3: emergence. Yeah. Okay. The work it's got a lot of different elements in it. There is writing that people do prior to coming in. There's some writing also during the work. I give them a series of questions to answer and write about in depth, which really gives me a deep understanding of where they're coming from. I then give them very detailed feedback on all of that, like an hour's worth of commentary. Much of that is based on the Enneagram. I know you're familiar with that. The Enneagram is a system of understanding nine spiritual paths and the way we fall off of them and how each of them is different. That's what I primarily use as a diagnostic tool and how I work with people is in terms of what's the central thing that's going on here? What's the central distortion that's taken hold? What I found is that if you work with the core wound, if you work with a central thing, a lot of other stuff just falls into place. And so that's really where my focus is. It all boils down to you not having your own faith in yourself. Or it all boils down to you thinking you have to be perfect. Or the, the central thing here is that you have to dominate other people. Or that you don't have an opinion. Or that you think relationships going to give it to you. It's like when we can really do the work of loosening that core, so many other things fall into place. There is breath work involved. There is encouragement all the way along to be with emotions and really give voice to them. So if there's sadness coming up, I really encourage people to just let it rip. You know, just be sad. Be totally sad. Be as sad as you possibly can be. If there's anger coming up, we do anger release. And encourage people, again, to go as far into it as you can, knowing that it's all for a purpose. And the purpose is opening. The unexpressed emotion is the glue that holds all these stories in place. And that's why merely trying to do it on a mental level doesn't work. And that's why just doing it emotionally without the understanding part of it is going to be incomplete.
0: Or trying to do it emotionally with somebody else who has their own issues
3: that are unresolved. That can be a total mess. And usually is. And we've all been there, right? So what else is involved? There are structured processes, there are guided meditations that with a specific orientation. They're all focused on taking you deeper, opening up, giving you the correct understanding. At the end of Awakening, I talk quite a bit about how to put this in motion, what happens next, what to expect three weeks from now. What are the strategies you can use and put in place to keep this alive? What to do about your parents, what to do about your lover, what to do when all this stuff comes back and hit you again. All of that is more like a teaching mode that I go into at the end. Some stuff just comes to work with people in a realm that I haven't worked with before, so that's really unique to them. I never know. And there is a particular structure to the work, but there's malleability inside of that to go wherever we need to go. So basically There's information, there's stories that I tell, there's explanations that I give, there's questions that I answer. And then you go through various experiences. Music is used a lot in this work because music is very evocative. It can really touch emotions in us and bring them out. And there's physical body gets involved also. We do some physical work. So it's working on many planes. And even though the processes are pretty similar person to person, where people go with that is unknown and always different and always has a different tone. And For some people, it's a real struggle to open up their emotional selves. That's the nature of the structures that they're up against. Other people are real emotive, but they can't ground themselves. They don't know how to bring things into the body and calm themselves down. They're always caught up in drama, etc., so even though the processes would be similar, we would go in very different kinds of directions. And I'm leading you as far as the work goes, but you're leading me in where we take it, what comes up, you know, what is needed, what's being pointed to. My job is just to really be responsive to that. So it's really a co-creation between you and me as we work together. Could you give a quick example of how you use music in its process? Yeah. So imagine that you were going through an experience of reconnecting with the wounded child inside of you. And I'm leading you through that. And I've got music playing that's soft and evocative with violins, with minor keys, or with lyrics that might speak of woundedness or hurt. This helps you move into it. Music touches a place in us, in many of us. Some people more than others. Many people speak to me afterwards about how important the music was. Also, you're going through a process where you're really mobilizing yourself and you're bringing forward your strength and your power. You're going to want to have kick-ass music on. You're going to want something that, you know, supports you with lyrics and music and beats that pump you up. And so... You know, as you and I have shared before, I'm a real music guy. Music's a real love in my life. And I've been collecting music since I was 11. And I have a great repertoire of music that's really applicable that I can pick from, depending on the people that will specifically relate to their issues, the things that are important to them. So I had a, I had somebody go through and they said music that's cheating you're cheating it does have to work (laughs) yeah it's a wonderful ally so
0: so one of the things that you said is that you're no longer seeking because you found what you were most deeply seeking could you talk about that experience and how you experience that in your life now
3: good that's a great question and this has not been just one experience I understand my life is the process of awakening, and that has had three pretty remarkable influxes of energy. But this has not been something where I suddenly wake up and it's all, you know, I'm in a different reality. I'm I'm a slower learner, I guess. It needs to be much more gradual for me. But what has revealed itself over the years, and through many masters, many pieces of work, most of which have been helpful, I have come upon an understanding that seems to resonate in depth with who I am and what truth is for me. And that can be summed up in a couple of concepts, a couple of ideas. Number one, everything is already here. And you actually don't have to do anything except I'm impatient. I know that in myself. I want it this lifetime. I want full realization this lifetime. So one of the most helpful understandings is that actually is my nature. The truth is I'm already completely merged with truth or God or consciousness or awareness or nothingness, whatever name you want to apply. That is my nature. And, Antonio, that simplifies so much, so many questions about how to live my life. Because it then simply how do I live my life? as if that were really the truth. And I collaborate with that. How can I live my life like I actually am? The supreme being, the ultimate truth, you know, the the holy grail, as if that really is my nature, trying to wake up in me. And my job is just to learn how to collaborate with it more, learn how to be receptacle. Now, what that means for me specifically takes me back to that experience of being told I have to die. The way I experience the spiritual path is that when I first stepped onto the spiritual path, it was with the idea that I was going to get something. Oh, I'm going to be free. I'm going to, you know, I'll experience love and be so wonderful and no more pain. And everybody will recognize me. And, you know, it's like my ego will finally be satisfied. What I've come to recognize is that this path, at least for me, has been a death path. It's death and loss. But specifically, what dies is the separate self, the sense of the me, the separate me, the Jason who desires and wants things, the Jason who tries to get this, the Jason who doesn't want this to happen, the Jason who you know, can't handle that, whatever, that circumstance. When I say my seeking ends, it's because I'm ended. And again, that this is not, a process that is completed. You know, there's still me from time to time. I still get caught up in the self, the separate self thinking that what it needs is important. But I am much better now because I recognize it for what it is, and that that is always then subservient to the desire to let this life be lived by the divine, to let that come forward. And it just needs the room. If I'm cluttered up with the me, to the degree that I am, this this more fundamental me doesn't have enough room to occupy, so it's always wanting to push stuff up to the surface and bring it out and open the body, and so that I'm a better receptacle for that. And that to me is always a process, and of shedding my likes, dislikes, like holding them more lightly. I still have likes and dislikes, but I don't take them real seriously anymore. It's mm-hmm. just I don't like that, so what? <laughs> yeah, that's just a circumstance. I don't like it. It's of little importance now. You know, how am I, how do I insist that life become any particular way? That's taken me through periods of losing everything I had, leaving my business behind, running out of money, of having very deep and beautiful, wonderful love relationships, end, and the willingness to see everything that happens to me as a potential opportunity to serve for a greater clearing if I approach it correctly, if I utilize the opportunity correctly, so that the seeking ends because the me, who is seeking anything, is continually being diminished and continually of less and less importance. And what is there instead is the growing experience of the delight of being in existence in human form, which is my understanding of why this planet exists, why anything exists. What our purpose in life is, is to be more perfect vehicles for the divine, however we want to experience that, you know, for consciousness to be able to experience itself in this human form that it has created and it is evolving to be better and better receptacles for that.
0: Mm. Right. And the more we hold on to any aspect of our old story, in spite of what is actually unfolding in our lives, the more we suffer.
3: The more we suffer. And suffering is, see I make a distinction between pain and suffering. Consciousness is always wanting to be at its edge. It's always wanting to push to the next level of whatever. When you're on the edge, there's always pain. Like birth is pain. Giving birth is painful. Being in unfamiliar territory is painful until you learn how to be with that. So pain is inherent in life. There's always going to be pain. You, know, you, you can try and insulate yourself against it. You can calm it, you know, et cetera. But it's still there. It's still there doing its business. So when you can accept that, you have a framework to be able to hold experiences that are difficult, unknown, insecure, hurtful, et cetera. You can be with that more easily. Suffering is pain plus the story of it shouldn't be this way. Now you have added another layer of disturbance, and that's optional. That's the place where we can have a choice. Don't have a choice about how painful life might be at times. It's going to be difficult, and I don't know anybody who escapes it. It's going to be hard at times. But where do you stand with that? How you can integrate that? How you can be with that? How you can use that? You, you can get better and better at not adding any overlay of, but I don't like it, but it means I'm no good, but people won't like me, but I'm a failure. Like, whatever the voice, whatever story the voice is telling you. Papaji used to say, if you pick it up, it will bite you. So don't pick it up. Mm-hmm. He's speaking to this, you know, that we're speaking of. Like, you don't go into a story with it. It's just, ah, it's like, you know, there are many Zen stories about The master who is accused by the woman of fathering her child. And he says, oh, is that so? And he raises the child. And later the woman says, no, I lied because my parents would have disapproved. And the master says, is that so? You know, and the story goes on and on. Whatever circus has, the master is going, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, that's what's happening. Without attachment. Without needing it to be any different. This is mastery. You know, Byron Katie talks about loving what is. You know, whatever that is. When you can love what is, whatever that is, you're pretty much there you a pretty clear vessel because in our essence, we are love. And that love includes all our experiences, good or bad. There's no separation. There's, you know, there's no way to ensure that only good things are going to happen to you. There is life in its fullness. You know, the horrible and the ecstatic. And you get the full experience when you're willing to open up to the whole show. Then you get to really be here for what it is. Mm-hmm and you have that choice. When you're aware
0: that you have that choice, you have the choice to either love or fully accept what's happening as it is, or you can choose to resist it, to fight against it, to, as Byron Katie would say, you can try to argue with
3: reality. But reality wins only 100% of the time.
2: Exactly.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and that choice is freedom. That choice is freedom when you recognize you're at cause, you're at the cause of whether you experience suffering or you don't experience suffering, you're at the cause of that, but then you're free. Then how bold can you live your life? How adventuresome can you be in your life? How you can really go for what you want with full gusto, you know, to bring yourself forward because, you know, whatever happens, I can handle it. I can be with it. That seems to be the key is trusting that we can be
0: present with whatever happens and therefore we allow ourselves to be fully available to whatever occurs in our life and then the magical portal opens up to new experience without all of the old baggage and knee-jerk responses and old fixations jumping in and, and hijacking the scene
3: that's absolutely true then we can also be very useful to consciousness consciousness can really use us Then, whatever talents we have or in any way it sees to do that. We we can be of use, which has always been something that's been important to me. I want to be of use here.
0: I love that you just brought that up because I think that would be a perfect note to end on.
3: When I went to the ashram that I spoke to earlier, which was Osho's ashram, I went there without an agenda. I went there just because I wanted to go there for a long time, but I was raising a child and so i had to wait for many many years and it built up and i was really ready for a jump in consciousness and i found myself very quickly leading groups which is kind of unheard of you have to be a, you know to be there 10 years to lead groups and you know here i was there for two weeks it, that just opened up the red carpet for me. I got taken right to the heart of the ashram when I was working with the people who were, you know, the old time sannyasins and were running all the various programs. And it was so unexpected. And, you know, I didn't know if I even wanted to ever lead groups again. You know, I was just open for a new experience. But the, the feeling that I had, Tonio, was I am so delighted to be of help and use. I'm so delighted to have my talents and the things that I'm good at, being given a position where that is being useful. And I have strived in my life to be the best vessel that I can to encounter the hindrances or the demands or the places where I might limit how I might be useful. So that that whatever form that takes. I'm reminded of a movie called Resurrection with Ellen Burstyn, who has this, she awakens into becoming a healer and she has to go through all the you know, disbelief and discord. And in the end, she ends up running a gas station in the desert, just healing people who come. Just by touching them, It's able to bring physical healing to them. And, you know, like living a very simple life, but being called in this kind of unusual way to be of use. I want to be of use. I want to be of help. I want to finish with this life in the recognition of, who, what a ride. And, you know, I I did the best I could to make myself available. I don't even know what that looks like or what that might mean, but I want to be used. I want to be used up by the time I'm done. I want to be all used up, you know, whatever I could contribute, that's going to give me the greatest satisfaction.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to end. So for people who are interested in exploring your work, how can they find out more?
3: So I offer people a free half hour interview on the phone where we go kind of in depth about why do you want to do this? What are you seeing in your life? What's challenging for you? And that basically has two purposes. That is for me to assess whether this is appropriate for you. This is not for everybody, not for the casual observer. It's for people who are serious about making a gigantic leap forward. I have a good radar. I can almost always tell in that half hour whether that person has a high likelihood of success or not and if not i will either work with them individually beforehand or i will refer them to a practitioner maybe for body work maybe for meditation practice etc and then check back with them in a couple of months and there's some people who this is not not really what they're looking for this is not for people who want to learn how to make more money. Or I want to find my soulmate. You know, I want to get people to like me. All those things are going to be much more likely to happen because you're not in your way anymore. But that's not the focus of this work. We are not at all concerned with what might happen in the outer world. I mean, afterwards, after you've made this transition, then we can start talking about how to put that into the world. But the work itself, it's very much about making this transition. That's an inward process. It's an inward turning, and people have to be kind of ready for that. It doesn't really matter whether you've done any work on yourself or not. I've had great success with virgins, we could call them. You know, this was their first, and you know, they step right into the major leagues at first at bat. That doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter whether you have any spiritual, religious beliefs or not. If people want to talk about God, I can talk that language. If people... You know, don't want to go near that. We don't have to go near that. It's totally unimportant. It doesn't matter what your background is in that, except to the degree that it may be interfering, that it may be part of the problem of the opening that needs to happen. So to get that, there are two ways to do that. I have a website, www.awakeningseminars.com. I'm going to spell that, A W A K E N I N G dot com, And on that, feel free to browse. Please look at my testimonials. I got some really good testimonials that are worth reading. And there is a sign up page where you can get in touch with me and request a free interview. I'm not pushy, it's not obligated. I'm gonna tell you what I think. And at the end of that interview, if this is something we both feel we wanna proceed on, We work out the logistics. There are stuff I need to send you that's preparatory work. We have to reserve a piece of time. I'm going to need three of your days when you're not doing anything else, when you're totally available only for this work. We build an energy. So it's really important that you not be concerned with anything else during those three days. The second way is you can send me an email. That's Jason at AwakeningSeminars.com. J-A-S-O-N at dot com And you can make an appointment with me there. Also, I'll give you my phone number, 760-670-5929, and we can set it up there. So if any of this resonates with you, if this feels like something you wanna explore, you don't have to be sure you want it. It's an exploratory interview, but even the interview itself will be helpful because you'll be able to have a greater understanding of some of the major things that are at play in you, and that will be helpful.
0: Well, Jason, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation, and I really enjoyed listening to you and reconnecting with you.
3: Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Tony. I'm so glad that we were able to find our way back to each other. I always enjoyed my time with you when we met before. I always found you to be someone who was open and inquisitive and in his own seeking so it's really nice to connect in this way
0: yeah and in that seeking for me it was based on very very strong desire yeah to the point of desperation
3: yeah desperation is very underrated desperation (laughs) is good i love working with people who are on the edge i love working with people who are i gotta do this or i'm gonna kill myself it's like wow there is so much energy there if you're not desperate coming in, i got to get you there first. Because once you're desperate, you'll walk through a wall. And once you're ready to walk through a wall, nothing is going to stop you. And those are the kind of people that do the best in this work. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thanks for this opportunity, and we'll stay in touch.
0: Yes. And be well.
3: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was
0: Jason Brody. He's been a longtime spiritual seeker and studied various forms of psychotherapy and spiritual practice eventually leading to the work that he does now, which he calls Awakening Intensives. magical mystery tour thank you so much for listening if you missed any of the show you can find this and all magical mystery tour shows at soundcloud.com slash wgdr and until next time take good care of yourselves and each other the magical mystery tour is brought to you by surrogate sitters
1: hi if you're like me you know it's hard finding time to meditate and look at porn, and masturbate, and meditate, and look at porn again. Contemplative practice is important to you, but there are never enough hours in a day. Until now. Welcome to Surrogate Sitters. We have thousands of freelance mystics waiting to liberate you from the pressing responsibility of daily meditation practice. Whatever you do, your surrogate sitter is delving deep into the mystery of the self. As a contemplative, you've probably already realized that there's no such thing as an other. So why worry who's doing the meditating? Sound expensive? It's not. Our corporate team is devoted to bringing you highly realized mystics at the lowest possible price. In fact, we beat all competitors or your awakening is free. We've taken the time to locate thousands of destitute deities from all corners of the globe. We put spiritual Sherpas at your fingertips. Now help them help you up the mountain. No matter what you do with your ego in the meantime, that's your business. Call now and let us connect you with an affordable surrogate from Kashmir Shaivism, Baha'i, Hinayana, Voodoo, Zen, Tantra, TM, Contemplative Prayer, Sufism, shamanism, surrogate sitters because you don't have to wake up a